it's Nick Walters once again with the National Hemp Co-ops podcast, the National Industrial Growers Digest. And we are always glad to have uh, uh, every month a good legal update from our friends at the Bradley Law Group, particularly uh, that uh, the Bradley Law Firm who focus in on their cannabis group. So uh, we have uh, half of frickin' frack this time. Okay, so we got um, uh, uh, one one half of the dynamic duo. Uh, Whit Steinecker is with us today uh, to talk a little bit about product liability and how that might impact the hemp industry. Does that sound right to you, Whit? That's right. Hunter sent his regards. He's actually practicing law today. So how about that? <laughs> practicing? Y'all, that's why y'all call it practicing law, right? That's right. We'll get there Performing law. Right. <laughs> Good for him. Somebody's got to bring in the dollars. So, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about that are the very positive things about hemp that also can be one of the crazy negative things about hemp. It's the same subject and that it does so many different things, right? It gives us so many opportunities for people like the co-op and growers and people that we work with to know that they can find these different opportunities to, to uh, have in markets. Uh, but one of the negatives can be that it's, there's so many of them, sometimes it's hard to focus on which one might be the right place or the right way to, to enter into that market including the value add and the process and then whatever else might be a part of it. But regardless of whether you are ingesting something or whether you are like a CBD product or where you might be putting hemp hearts on your granola in the morning or whether you might want to uh, have a um, 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 coffee table made out of hemp wood, product liability, it touches all those things, right? I mean, that's right. That's right. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it can be a it's a legal sounding term um, that can immediately sort of make people feel like uh, it should be confusing. But all it means is sort of being liable for your products and the things that uh, their characteristics and the things that they ultimately do or don't do. So give us some examples on kind of part of uh, what, what does that mean really more about product liability? And then, of course, Focus that in, if you will, and kind of check some boxes as it would be, you know, examples of things like that in the hemp industry. Sure. So um, in my prior life as a straight litigator, um, I did a lot of product liability work. And so the cases we would see the most, I would just put into sort of two categories. It was an instance where my client's product cause some type of injury to someone, um, either because it did or didn't do something to, to them and, and, and it allegedly caused them to, uh, uh, an injury. So for example, if I represented a tire company um, and somebody was driving down the highway and the tire blew um, and they would sue the tire manufacturer, there'd be a fight over whether the failure of the tire was somehow the fault of its design or manufacturing. Um, uh, and then the, you know, the tower company would argue, no, it's because you were, um, you know, you were on a bunch of alcohol and drugs and driving 200 miles an hour and you could fight about that. But that, that was one type of product liability case. It's sort of when the product causes essentially personal injury. And then the second type, very broadly speaking, is when your product either isn't what you said it is, or doesn't do what you said it was going to do more consumer protection type type statute. So, um, you know, you say that it doesn't contain 
um, this type of chemical? And it turns out that it does. Um, and uh, there's aspects of that that can be personal injury. You know, I relied on that. So I gave it to, um, you know, my young uh, child and it turns out it had some sort of poison in it. You didn't tell me about um, that. There's some aspect of that. Um, also, though, and this is where it comes into the to the hemp world uh, and can really be on the, the uh, fiber or sort of the what I'll call the CBD side. Um, you know, someone says a product is THC free. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of times, frankly, that isn't a requirement, but people like to make, you know, it doesn't make the law doesn't require THC free uh, under the farm bill, at least. But people like to make that claim sometimes for their products. But if you say that you better be darn sure that you're right. And because if someone takes it and all of a sudden THC shows up in their, you know, a drug test or, or something like that, um, you know, theoretically they could sue you for some sort of, you know, consumer protection, fraud, misrepresentation type claim. So both of those go back to sort of the, as of the product, either it failed, it was defectively manufactured or it wasn't what you said it was. And so I think of those two, um, is is product liability sort of the, the the hemispheres of product liability, and they're both as applicable to the hemp world as they are to almost anything else. And in fact, um, while we would like to think that you know hemp, especially on the fiber side, uh, in in its current formulation, isn't going to be as dangerous as, you know, dynamite or, you know, some other type of product that someone can make where it's very easy to see the potential harms. Uh, the fact that it's it's not new, but it's being used in new ways than it has historically, that can lead to, you know, newer claims, people using it in a way that it wasn't intended, all the sorts of things that you see um, in a burgeoning area of product liability. And, and then it's not hard at all to see the potential uh, claims on the CBD side, right? Particularly if, um, you know, the product isn't manufactured properly and it's usually past the grower part. It's, you know, once it starts to get processed, um, you know, who knows what people are putting in it. The regulations are pretty scant right now, certainly at the federal level. So um, it's an area where I expect we're going to see uh, a lot of product liability. How about that? So <clears throat> let's take it for somebody like us, one of our co-op members. Yep. And, and, my guess is, is that our insurance folks, of course, are going to be able to look at different policies, what give us cover and go, yeah, yeah, this looks like this is going to cover us. We're not starting with our, our attorney trying to tell us this looks like you're going to get sued over this deal. It's really going to kind of start with the with the insurance folks to go, yeah, I think we got enough to get covered. But if they wondered, oh, I wonder if this is really going to cover us in X, Y, Z instance, the insurance company might reach out to folks like y'all to help say give us some guidance to know how we're underwriting this policy that was more of a question statement than where i started right does that sound right or yeah it can it can go a couple different ways i mean we like to encourage our clients to think about um what i would just call risk mitigation as a comprehensive strategy so you have a product that is going to change hands from you to someone else you might be the middle piece of a extended chain where you get some uh, hemp product in some form and then you do something to it and give it to somebody else so that they can put it in some other form. Uh, you could be the you know initial grower uh, or you could be the person who essentially makes a near final product that then hands it off to, um, uh, to the retailer or you could be the retailer um, or, right. and you could be all of the above too at the, at the same time. 
um, in sort of an integrated way. No matter where you are in that process, you need to examine where your sources of risk come from. Mm. You know, if you are, um, if you are, for example, a fiber on the fiber side, and you have a product that's going to make, um, you know, let's say you come up with a blanket that's specifically for uh, small children. It's uh, you know, hemp is antimicrobial, and you figured out a way where moms don't have to fret about uh, uh, the, the types of germs and bacteria that they get because of your special hemp blanket, okay? Um, well, you need to understand, for example, you know, the risk of having products that involve children, which have extraordinary risks, right? If, if a child has an accident involving your blanket, um, you know, the types of damages that you could suffer would be substantial as opposed to, you know, something that might uh, be a little uh, less of a uh, area likely to cause uh, big damages. So you want to think about, do I need insurance? The, the question is yes. Now, but then how much insurance do I need? You know, what type of coverages do I need? Um, am I making any claims about the product such that I would need to make sure that I have the type of insurance that would cover that? Um, you know, am I, and then, but insurance can get you so a little bit, but at some point you either become uninsurable or they won't give you that much insurance. So what other things can you do to minimize um, your, or mitigate and minimize your risk. You know, if you have distributors um, or if, if you're making a product, for example, and someone else is selling it, you can make sure that um, in your contract with the retailer, you know, you're not liable for anything that they say about the product. You're liable for how you made the product and essentially what condition it was in when you handed it to them. But if they do something that ultimately is the cause of the harm, then they would be on the hook. So that was, you know, you think of ways that you can shift risk. Theoretically, you can shift it to an insurer, but you're going to pay for that. And that's fine. That's standard insurance. But also you can shift it to, you know, somebody higher or lower in the supply chain, um, you know, depending on who really created the problem with the, with the product, be it the, the, the statement or the representation or be it the, the defect. Now, that's a two-way street often. And a lot of times you have mutual indemnifications um, and indemnities can be uh, crafted basically however you want. It can be, they're going to pay your legal fees or you're going to pay their legal fees, or it could actually cover the damages. And those are all just things that you want to think about, you know, in the event that something bad happens, who are they going to go after? And the trick, they're going to probably go after everybody, but they're going to be looking at the one with the most money. And sure. how do you make sure you're not the one who's left holding the bag? And, and, and so those are the types of things, whenever you enter under any type of distribution or supply agreement, you have to make sure you understand um, what the other side uh, is sort of demanding of you and asking of you and what's gonna happen if something goes wrong. And certainly if it's with a larger company, it's more sophisticated, has their own attorneys, has done this a bunch of times and you may not be, then that's when you have to bring in somebody who's done this before. And just so if nothing else, doesn't an, an attorney a good attorney doesn't always stop you from making a bad deal, but they can at least let you know that you're doing it. And if you decide you want to do it nonetheless, or you decide it's your only choice, then so be it. But at least you understand sort of the risk and you can sort of try to govern yourself accordingly. Right. Right. So that's like saying, you know, Hey, I know these, I know that the, the, the Huns are coming to attack us. I don't know when and where, but you just need to know you've got a hole in your defense zone over here. So you, if you right. don't say I didn't tell you that it wasn't coming, uh, right. at least on that. Well, you know, that's and so this is kind of a back ended commercial then for the for the co-op. 
as a value proposition to growers is, you know, having a blanket policy or a policy like that that covers anybody that that is growing for us under one of these contractual agreements. Uh, so if we were trying to be the ones to provide the hemp fiber that would be processed for that antimicrobial blanket, we maybe didn't make the blanket and didn't weave everything together or market it or sell it, but it was from our growers is where the hemp came from in the first place. So when somebody starts to sue, they're going to be looking for everybody that they can find, right? And so if we can say, hey, look, we grew it to the spec that was given to us by the company. We did it the way it was supposed to be delivered. We processed it in a way that they understood the processing of what we were doing. And so we delivered it to them. We got we got blockchain technology that's able to show that it went from here all the way over to here and to certify all of that. Doesn't stop you from getting sued, but it may stop you from having to go have a claim paid one way or the other because we did something liable. That's And so if that policy, if I'm trying to kind of go it on my own out there uh, and just plant and then grow for some other end user or some other group like that, that could be pretty expensive. And my guess is, is that you would be better when you were getting cover in numbers uh, with you than just trying to cover yourself. Yep. Yeah. Summed up in one word. Yep. That's yep. right. How about that? That wasn't, that was a question statement. I did it twice already in this one podcast. That's terrific to be able to do that. So um, where along the process then would you say was the right way to start investigating and thinking through uh, uh, product insurance for liability insurance? Would it depend, again, from the co-op perspective, would it be to say all that would depend on the different end users we would be selling the fiber to? So if we had a we had a ton of decorticated fiber, would we be would we be looking at each different group we might sell that to and how that fit back into our product liability insurance? Or we could say we're making the same thing the same time and no matter what y'all end up doing with it, doesn't make any difference to us. I think you could probably, and this is where it does uh, help to work with someone who in, in the insurance business who knows the hemp industry, uh, because you can explain to them what what your concern is. And, you know, if you're just selling, if you're just making and selling the hemp, growing and selling the hemp, uh, or just making some, you know, composite piece of a broader thing, then there's only so much you're going to be worried about. And you can usually find an insurance uh, policy that will cover, you know, basically any claims made arising out of the use of that uh, product. And so it should it shouldn't be a problem as long as your uh, uh, broker and uh, in the, in the company and, and if your lawyer's involved, your lawyer uh, know what you're looking to get and make sure that it says what you think it says. You know, a lot of times people. They, they get insurance and I don't know, I got a policy and they think it's going to be good, but then, you know, claims made and it's not, in, you know, the thing they thought was covered wasn't in there. And sometimes it's because the insurance companies says it's not in there, even when it looks plain as day that it is in there. And that happens from time to time, but a lot of other times it's not in there and maybe nobody lied to anybody. You just didn't check. And a lot of people don't check, you know, you asked your person to get you a policy. So making sure that everything's right on the front end, um, is really important. Getting getting the right policy, I don't think it's hard. It's just important. And then 
you know, I think in terms of timing, um, if you're already up and running, I think now is the time to do it. Um, but if you're not up and running, but you're sort of thinking about what are the boxes I need to check before I can be operational, the best practice would be before anything goes off the the, the line, you know, before anything goes out the door, uh, you have coverage. And it may be that you can get a policy. And the, again, these are the types of things just to ask about. Sure. It may be a policy that would cover, you know, your past year's worth of um of, of, of operations. Um, you know, you may pay a little more for it, uh, to, to get it. it just the same way you can get a tail where, you know, it'll cover a year after, um, you know, you stop making premiums. So, and then there's all sorts of things about, you know, claims made policies versus occurrence based policies. You know, um, if you get a different policy from a different company, um, every year based on price, you know, you want to make sure that, um, they're all essentially the same type. Is, is this, does the coverage depend on when the claim was made against you or when the accident actually happened? Um, and as long as each one is the same, then somebody will always have the coverage. But if you get if you start switching back and forth and you get a claims made one year, and then you get a, a, a the other year, there can be a gap in time where it turns out unbeknownst to you, ah. you didn't have coverage. Um, and so this just make those are little things that like working with someone who knows your business and knows what you do and knows what insurance you've had before and, you know, keeping the records and just having them in a, in a folder on your computer or in a box, even um, on your, near your desk, just you can hand that to somebody who's reputable and they can make sure the most important thing, which is you have coverage. Which is yeah, that that's a great segue and gives us an opportunity to, to uh, say thank you for some, some time with you again is to say, it's one of the benefits of being a part of the co-op. Why do you want to buy all this stuff on your own? Why not buy it in bulk with everybody else so that we got better policy, deeper pockets, and more opportunities to be able to give you coverage? So that's a perfect way to be able to do that. Well, as always, we got good info from you, and uh, uh, you help us think about some things. Tell us how our listeners can get in, back in contact with you uh, if they would like to know more about um uh, the cannabis uh, practice uh, uh, there at Bradley, as well as how they might be able to follow you on some of your great ideas that you have going on in the industry. Thanks, Nick. So you can get me or Hunter Robinson. Um, we make it very easy to find us on the internet. Um, so if you just uh, search for our name um, in, in the word Bradley, you will certainly find us. We're at bradley.com as well. And today, which you may not be listening to it today, but today is 420. Uh, 2022, and because it's a national holiday, at least in the, the corners of this office, um, we have launched a blog called the Budding Trends Blog, BuddingTrendsBlog.com, um, which I think is chronicling the cannabis blog, so the cannabis legal uh, atmosphere. So we got a couple of puns in there, um, and you'll you'll see all of our stuff. We we posted a bunch that historically it's just been linked to our website. We really try to be thought leaders uh, on this type of thing. And, you know, if you follow us on, on LinkedIn, you can see that stuff. But now we've sort of all got it in one place. Um, we're going to have all of our archives up and running by the next day or two. So um, it's a way you can access our thoughts for better or for worse, but free of charge. And if you like what you're reading and you want to uh, pick our brains on something, you know, we're not going to charge you for um, picking up the phone and just having an initial phone call with with friends and, and friends of the co-op. So We'd love to hear from anybody, but uh, but either way, it's been it's been fun getting this up and running. Well, that's it's terrific. Always a pleasure spending time with you. 
Well, absolutely. And what better than here on the uh, not only on 420, but but uh, Whit and I both happen to be central time zone. And just so that everybody will understand that 420 on 420 is about to happen in 11 minutes. And I don't want to be on the, you know, on the call like this. You guys may have some big celebration we need to do at that moment. And I don't want to. Yeah, I need to be off before then. <laughs> How about right now? That's a great time to do it, too. So. Thank you uh, uh, for your time again, Whit, always. And and uh, uh, we hate we didn't get to hang out with Hunter some this go round, but we'll be able to do that in the future. If you're interested to learn more about the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, I hope that you would go back and check out our website, which is in the show notes there. Be looking for some more great events coming your direction and coming our way and more opportunities to learn more about the industry. Until next time, thank you. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.